As I was closing up for the night, I thought about all the movies that had been discussed in the spoiler room. That was when the temperature in the room changed. I went to the thermostat and it said it was 52 degrees KB. Suddenly I found myself in a maze of movie posters. No matter what direction I went, each path led me back to one actor, Kevin Bacon. That was when it was clear what I had to do. When I snapped out of it, I added bacon to the menu. 2020 was going to be an interesting year in the spoiler room. My friends, we are dancing once again in the spoiler room, and it is heating up to 52 degrees KB. That's right, that's the temperature all year as we uh, get through our little uh, variation on the old six degrees to Kevin Bacon. And tonight we are looking at a film called The Cotton Club. Now, this has a connection to our previous film, White Nights, which we talked about last week, and that is White Nights starred Gregory Hines uh, with Mikhail Baryshnikov, and Gregory Hines was in tonight's movie, The Cotton Club, with many, many people. Uh, <laughs> and so, to talk about uh, this uh, very interesting film from Mr. Uh, Francis Coppola, I have none other uh, than uh, the filmmaker extraordinaire herself, the very multi-talented Tanya Atomic. Hello, Tanya. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. Glad to have you back in the spoiler room once again. And next to Tanya, once again, he is back. It is Baby Spice himself, the one and only uh, Mr. Scotty D. Hello, Scott. Welcome back. Goo goo gaga. <laughs> wow, that just that just painted so many pictures in my head that I didn't want. Thank you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> and so, yes, uh, uh, the Cotton Club is a very interesting film. It is uh, from I, if I remember correctly, I don't have my notes in front of me. Actually, 1984, and yes. it is directed by yes Francis Ford Coppola, though he he is titled as Francis Coppola in this. And it stars Richard Greer, Gregory Hines, Diane Lane, uh, pretty much everybody in Hollywood at that time. <laughs> and it was a big deal. <laughs> it, it definitely was. And uh, let's see, Scotty D, would you like to give the synopsis of the Cotton Club? Oh, I was afraid you're going to get a call on me. Okay. <laughs> let's see. Yeah. Okay. So. The film actually covers quite a few years, starting in the 1920s. The action is centered on the Cotton Club, which is uh, was a legendary uh, venue for uh, jazz and uh, early uh, black performers, but had a notoriously uh, segregated atmosphere. Uh, they, because this is a Francis Coppola film, uh, and they were tr very clearly trying to emulate The Godfather, uh, it becomes the um, center of the mob wars that were ex happening at the time with the focus on Dutch Schultz, the gangster. The uh, film is centered on a coronet player who comes in from out, out of town to play at the Cotton Club. He meets Dutch Schultz and saves his life without knowing who he is. And he meets this girl, Vera, that he falls in love with. The problem is, is that Dutch Schultz also falls for Vera. So while Rick, so while the coronet player is employed by the gangster, <laughs> while he's employed by the gangster, he's also in love with this girl. And the gangster is, of course, mean because he's a gangster. By the way, also in there is another story with one of the uh great tab dancers at the Cotton Club, first starting to perform with his brother and then by himself after they have a falling out. He also falls in love with a uh, another performer at the club, but the performer says that she doesn't can't really commit to him because she has a second life where she is trying to pass for white. And that's the basically the two main stories of the Cotton Club. There's also some stuff about, you know, uh, the owners of the club, but really it's all kind of connected to the Dutch Schultz thing. And then there's the the other the other one's kind of a secondary story, which uh, is the opposite of what should they. So <laughs> <laughs> it is. But 
I I know that Tanya now you watched uh, the encore version which actually has 20 20 minutes extra. Have you seen the original version as well? I didn't. You know, I mm-hmm. I wanted to try to catch the original so that I could compare them mm-hmm. and I couldn't find it because I guess the encore version came out recently or something. Yeah. It's kind of everywhere right now. And so that was the only version I could get. Because I I heard that there's a lot more story with Gregory Hines' character, Sandman Williams, uh, and a lot more backstage stuff with him and uh, uh, basically fleshing out his story more stuff that producers of the film, I guess, in the studio didn't want in that <laughs> at the time. Yeah. The, um, the, I actually, I saw the original, uh, as well, but I saw it about 25 years ago. So, mm. uh, wait, like on an old VHS, but, uh, so, uh, I do, I do what, well, even with 25 years between viewings on this, I could tell, like, yeah, there's more with mm. this because, I mean, the way that because the, the basically the way it was it was placed was that it's it was basically this you know you know the the corn the Richard Gear storyline we'll just say, um, and then about like uh, it seemed like a half an hour worth of the of the Gregory Hines material. It was mm. really, it, it, it was, as I said, like. And I'd say, like, gee, you know, the scenes are where he's dancing are kind of the best parts of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I read that, too, and and I I didn't have a chance because of my day job. I didn't have a chance to watch the encore version. So I watched the original version, which I have a uh, a copy of. And you can see what they're going for in this film. and and, And I found it fascinating because, again, this is another... I've ha- I have the soundtrack on vinyl. I've listened to it many times. I actually haven't watched the full movie all the way through until I did for this show. So one of the reasons I'm doing this whole series this year is watching movies that I hadn't at all when they first came out. Um, and you can tell, you can get the gist with the original too of they're trying to do the parallel story thing, almost similar in a way to the what they did with um, White Knights. Uh, watching these back to back, it was interesting in that you had uh, two people from two uh, parts of the uh, you know of of culture. Yeah, you know, yeah, Caucasian, and you have an African American, and it, it telling two stories showing how they're similar, yet how they go in different directions. Um, you know, and you kind of get that here. But you're right, Scott. Uh, the majority of Gregory Hines' Sandman Williams stories are the dancing and performance numbers, but there's character stuff, but you feel like you missed a lot. <laughs> there was more in this encore. I mean, I could tell. I couldn't, I, you know, I would not be able to pinpoint to you which points they were, but I remember looking at this and saying, yes, this makes sense now. Because, you know, it really felt like, I mean, it, it sh- the editing showed. If you ask me, the ed- even on the encore version, the editing still shows. Because mm-hmm. originally, you know, I know that IMDb says three hours. I have heard that there is like a four, four and a half hour cut of this was the original cut. <laughs> wow. Trimming it down. So when the encore version came out, I'm like, three hour version. Here we go. Okay, it's 10 minutes longer. And then they cut out 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, damn it. You know, like Francis Coppola, when he makes a director's cut, it's either too little or too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I found that for being a first view, I'm just kicking myself for not watching it sooner because I, I adored this film and watching all sorts of who all was in this film. I was just like, oh, hey, wait. Oh, hey, wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Tanya, were, were you like that when watching this film? It's just all the people you end up picking out in this movie in the background are just like bit parts. Oh, totally. I mean, first of all, I, I kind of guessed that Gregory Hines' brother Maurice was also in it, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I figured they were the two brothers, the tap dancing brothers. So that was cool, but I kind of guessed that. But then seeing like Fred Gwynn and Bob <laughs> Hoskins and their interactions, you know, and then like, oh, Nicolas Cage is in this as like a kind of a meteor role than I expected. And then like all of a sudden there's Tom Waits. <laughs> 
And then there's Joe D'Alessandro is like the bartender or whatever. And then all of a sudden Jack Gay is like singing. I'm like this. When I once I saw Jack Gay, I was like blown away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, even the small, small parts, you're suddenly watching it. And I'm going, wait, was that Jennifer Gray? And yeah. yeah, it was. And then the big one for me is they had the performers and I'm like, is that Mario Van Peebles? <laughs> and, yeah. he, and he's one of the dancers. And I'm watching this film going, how have I not watched it until now? Because this is, this feels like, and, and I, if I remember correctly, when it came out, this was supposed to be one of those big event films. You got the big name director and you got the huge cast. And you, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a real, it was like, this is the biggest movie of the year and everybody expected it to sweep the Oscars. And instead it happened at the same time as Amadeus. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those. Wow. Yeah. So, so it was there. (laughs) Clash of the Titans and unfortunately Cotton Club lost because it got a total of two Academy Award nominees, which was best film editing and best art direction. Oh, wow. That art direction. Yes, folks, that's right. It, Back in 84, Oscars still snubbed movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a, it was a very controversial film because mm-hmm. um, it was a very contentious production history. It was uh, supposed to be Robert Evans's big comeback. And I can't remember if they went into the detail in the movie, but in his book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, he goes into a lot of detail about mm-hmm. the production of The Cotton Club. And... Uh, Basically, he said, this is going to be my big comeback film. I have my hands on this really great screenplay uh, by Mario Puzo, who had also written The Godfather, of course, Robert Evans. And he says, this is it. It's going to be The Godfather with music. And that was (laughs) the same thing. This is The Godfather with music, which... Like just He just repeated that to everybody, and of course, that just makes it more and more and more epic. It started out as like a $20 million movie that Robert Evans was going to direct. Then he said, I can't direct it. He insisted on getting Coppola, who did not want him. Not, didn't want to work with Robert Evans again, oh. basically. said, I'm making independent movies now. I'm not doing this anymore, you know? And uh, <laughs> they finally got him to do it because his American zoetrope was almost out of business. Yeah. And... Um, he needed the money, so he so they hired him on, fought constantly. At one point, fired the produ- like shunned the producer from the set. It's this twenty million dollar movie became a sixty million dollar movie back in nineteen eighty four, which would be like wow. around spending like one hundred fifty million today. <laughs> um, the uh, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There were lots of other people problems people in the production team suing other people on the production team there was a murder (laughs) (laughs) there was a murder look out there's like there became this guy who got killed and um his then they i think eventually got like his wife for it or for like ordering a hit on the husband and stuff somehow because they had donated money to the production of the cotton club it went on that, holy shit, there's like murderers on the production staff. <laughs> and it really, they didn't have anything to do with the movie, but became known as the Cotton Club murder. <laughs> so like this like was a huge, troubled production. I mentioned the running time of the movie. And so when it finally came out, some people were ready to embrace it and other people were ready to trash it. So it, actually, so it got very good reviews and several mediocre reviews and so Amadeus came in and Amadeus is one of the best films of the 80s Mm. and just sweeps it basically yeah it it was the only film I think still to this day that got nominated for a best picture in the Golden Globes but did not get nominated for Hollywood because if you think Hollywood is political now with all that history behind this production 
it was way even more political back oh, yeah. then uh, because of that, you know. And, uh, yeah, that explains a lot because it is kind of sad, though, because this is a solid film. I'm watching this going, I'm digging this. Tanya, did you, when, it, when the credits rolled on this, how did you feel with the Cotton Club? Oh, I loved it. Mm -hmm. You have to see the encore version because from what it sounds like, I mean, I'm really curious, but I feel like I maybe don't need to see the no, you don't. Theatrical. No. Um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, I am a huge fan of Gregory Hines. I yeah. just adore him. I think he's an amazing dancer and also very natural actor. Yes. And so it was really nice to see him. And I, I, wasn't familiar with Lynette McKee before seeing this movie, but she was she was amazing, and um, she plays his love interest, the one who's trying to pass in another club because she's going to make more money that way, like in the white world, right. and um, and they they had a lot of their story, and I found their story more compelling than the Richard Gere, um, Diane Lane story. Um, it just felt more like human and real to me. Mm -hmm and natural and um and but it was kind of nice to go back and forth you know but um but i really liked their story and the dance numbers and i and i super loved how they go back and forth you know between like story and the um musical numbers and some of the like kind of seedy dark stuff and then the beautiful <laughs> fun you know like costumes and stuff um i me personally i felt like it went a little over the top <laughs> <laughs> like at the final scene, the climax. Oh. Like, okay, I get it. I've been watching this the whole time. I get this. <laughs> you know, I've been at the juxtaposition. It, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> yeah. That's, get, I mean, that's a personal preference. Well, the but, way. Um, I did love it, though. The way it ends is definitely more like th this whole film, you could consider it a musical by far, I think. Uh mm -hmm. You know, it's got, you look at the credits and it's one of the few times I've watched the credits where there's a lot of freaking music in this movie. Um, and, and good music, especially if you're a fan of early jazz. That's why I got the soundtrack on vinyl. I love the soundtrack and the stuff on the vinyl is just the stuff that was composed by John Barry. And we're not even talking about the stuff that, you know, was uh, licensed music, original recordings from like, you know, uh, the big, big artists of the time. I mean, this, this, uh, is just like a musical and that ending is definitely, I'm like, wow, you guys really are trying to not make the not musical, but yet musical ending with the stage, the blending of stage and real life montage. Yeah, like, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that actually like made me feel better about the movie than I had already seeing that and everything, especially since my favorite cam uh, supporting actor in the uh, part in the movie where I didn't know they were going to be there uh, actually gets to dance. And it's Gwen Verdon who played mm -hmm. Richard Greer's okay. mom in the movie. I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. It's Gwen <laughs> oh yeah. When, when she, when she busts out the little, the move with the young, tap dancer at the very end right. there she's like no oh, here do this i'm like holy crap <laughs> she's <laughs> don't put her in a movie if you're not gonna have her dance my god <laughs> she's crying <laughs> scott you I, I i gather you enjoy this film as well no no <laughs> oh awesome this will be a great conversation you know i here's the weird thing is that uh like i said i uh I saw this movie 25 years apart. I saw the original cut 25 years ago when I was in school. And then I saw the encore version uh, just a few nights ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember enjoying it back, you know, when I saw it back then. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, this is really good. It's still flawed. It needs more of the Gregory Hines story. That's was those were my big critiques. This time I was watching this. Okay, it does have more of the Gregory Hines story. The pacing is better, but I like seeing this as as an older age. I'm like, I turned to my cat several times. I said, Casper, he <laughs> <laughs> kind of sucks right now. <laughs> I a because I thought that when they focused on the club, uh, that was great. Mm -hmm. right. just, focus, just focus on what's happening in the club. Uh, 
have the stories there and then the musical numbers come up like the movies like say like cabaret um do that but what they did instead is they have this thing where they go off like they go off with uh, the richard gear character who has this thing to the with this love triangle and he there's a mobster he's gonna I did not give one solitary shit about this coronet, <laughs> which I thought was a very mediocre performance from Richard Gere. I didn't think Diane Lane had any character except uh, she's kind of tough, and then she's what they're fighting for, and that's it. Um, I liked James Ramar as Dutch Schultz, but... In the end of the movie, at one point, the Rich Gears character says, like, what is it with you anyway? And I'm like, yeah, we don't really, no matter how good James Ramar is, Dutch Schultz has written, like, a two-dimensional generic gangster character. Mm -hmm. We don't drives him. We don't know why he's like that. Like, he's like that because he's a mobster. (laughs) Like, well, I mean, they could, there was a real Dutch Schultz, so there's, like, books and books and books and books on this guy. I know several details of his life at this point. <laughs> but, so, like, they could have actually drawn on history. Instead, it's just written as a two-dimensional character that James Ramar tries to do the best he can with. Uh, I thought that all of the characters in the main story were so bland. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about this. Then when they would go over to the Greggy Hines story, I was fascinated with his with the romantic subplot of him uh, in love with this singer because mm-hmm. uh, there's two Gregory Hines stories to this. Uh, I, I, I I loved what that story, the idea of that story, and I think each of them did good in their parts. I didn't feel a lot of chemistry though when they first met. So like when they're all of a sudden they're obsessed with each other, I'm like, really? I didn't wasn't getting that vibe at all. <laughs> so. That has a little bit of a problem, and then the one those scenes with his brother, those I thought were probably the most interesting. So I think the closer they kept to the club, the better the movie was. But they focused all their energy on this dumb, tired crime melodrama that I <laughs> million times before. I didn't care about them. I cared about the people. The, Gregory Hines character and the people working in the back the stories that hadn't been told a million times yet mm-hmm. that's what I was interested in that's why I'd see a movie called The Cotton Club yeah <laughs> Scott you are not wrong Yeah, <laughs> you are not wrong <laughs> you, you are the, oh go ahead Tanya oh I, I mean the whole main like love triangle story is kind of dumb I mean you don't really see why you know the I mean, you kind of see why maybe the gangster likes the girl because he kind of, that's, it's his girl. So he's kind of got this macho thing. But why is the other, why are the other two interested in each other? I mean, it just is very two dimensional. Um, and yeah, and I found myself sometimes, you know, tuning out a little bit <laughs> during those parts. But then <laughs> any time Gregory Hines came on the screen, it was a totally different story. I was just fixated on that story. It, it, I wish if they had insisted on focusing on the crime story, they would have stuck with uh, the Lawrence Fishburne character. Who they give him a different name in the movie, but he's supposed to be that. Um, no, he's bu- they they call him Bump- Bumpy Rhodes, which uh, yeah. yeah, which he actually reprises thirteen years later in Hoodlum. Uh, Hoodlum, oh. yeah. Also, not a great Dutch Schultz movie. <laughs> but I loved Lawrence Fishburne. I thought, like, well, that would be a more interesting crime story about how they had the Harlem numbers racket and everything and how these white guys came in and, like, took it over and how they, you know, survived. That's more interesting. Mm. It's right there in front of us on the screen. They never go into it. Instead, they kind of focus on this very safe story. I mean, it was like Titanic before Titanic was. You know? <laughs> it's like all those interesting stories and I have to watch these two idiots fall in love. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit, but the parts I enjoyed the most were just like you two. I love the Gregory Hines story. I loved them exploring uh, a story that uh, is set during the 
late 20s, a story that you don't actually get a lot of movies talking about from that perspective during that time. Um, You know, like you said, the numbers record, not... I don't think people even really realized, you know, the the gangsters because you always have seen the the Italian gangsters, the Al you know, all of that, the Dutch Schultz of that. You never really got the bumpy Rhodes character, or you, you know, the Harlem story uh, of how it was during those times. And I mm-hmm. found those bits the most interesting. I mean, I'm going to say right now, I could watch like two hours of. Uh, uh, what the the, the hoofers? The, oh yeah! I could have watched two hours of those folks just just dancing. Those, those, mm-hmm. That that group of individuals they had dance. I'm like, I love that. I loved Gregory Hines's uh, Sandman Williams. Yeah, the story about his brother. I loved, and they tried to dancing. I loved all the musical numbers with them. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. all well, all the musical numbers in here are are great. Are, are really good. I will say that. The, yeah. It really felt, I, I almost like it now that you guys are describing it and the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, imagine if you took the first three Godfathers and crammed them into one film and tried to touch all the beats. I mean, there are so many different stories you could have almost focused the entire film on. I would have liked to yeah. see that quite a bit, Scott, just like you, is a, a story told from the perspective of the Cotton Club, the the title... Right of the film and then you have all these multi stories and you almost look there's glimpses of that to where you say if you tweaked the script a bit this easily could have played out like that because all the kind of meaty stuff starts happening at the clubs we get the club you know in the very beginning where uh sandman williams and uh you also had you know where dixie are playing in the small club and then you can you know uh, it, that could be a, a counterpoint to the Cotton Club, which is this big club that everybody's trying to get to. They could have just focused on what happened at the clubs and having all these extravagant characters popping in and out, and that yeah. would have been just as compelling. It, well, it, the other story that everybody in I almost forgot myself forget to mention because it is kind of mixed in with the Dutch Schultz story, um, but is the the owners of the Cotton Club. Yeah. They played by Bob Hoskins and Fred Gwynn, and mm-hmm. they have the best chemistry of oh. any of the characters in the movie is they between do. the two. And yeah. they've got some of the most interesting interactions. My favorite scene in the movie is this scene where Fred Gwynn comes back after a ransom has been paid for him, and they have this interaction between friends and it's everything. It's funny. It's human. It's forcing somebody to reveal a lot of vulnerability. It's a beautiful sequence. I could have, you could focus on that and have that mm-hmm. wrap around. Basically, mm-hmm. I can't stress enough. We don't need the fucking coronet player in the show, girl. <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> you could have cut there. If you cut the main story out of your movie, it would be better. That's yeah. the problem I have with the Cotton mm-hmm. Club, is that there's a lot of beautiful stuff on the sides, but the meaty center, it tastes like it's, well, it's spoiled. <laughs> wow. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I still enjoyed the movie because I do, I do like all that other stuff so much that I feel like I'd want to see it again. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like what you guys are saying. If they cut out the whole like love triangle main stuff, because the more human stories were the side stories mm-hmm. were the other stories and they, those felt like r- more real and had more heart than, <laughs> than the main story. So cut that out and make it more kind of like, you know, topsy turvy. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Oh yeah. There's kind of all, all people in the show. Yeah. Make it more like if if it had been more like that with a lot of the different stories of the people in and out, yeah, it would have been much better. Yeah, I think it would have been more well received too if they had gone that route because yeah, you could cut out the Dixie Dwyer Vera, uh, you know Dwight, Dutch Schultz story expand on the other stories and you'd have a solid film. I mean, <laughs> the, the, you really. But- 
it was it was it was and you know what 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 why the reason they focused on that one story they focused on the white story because of the bigotry we were talking about where they even the stuff they had of Gregory Hines they made them cut so much yeah. out because they said this is our big 60 million dollar movie you'd think that mean like yeah let's have it appeal to everybody but right. they said we can't market this as a black film and they had to cut out because lot, yeah, a lot of. And if you think that that kind of thinking is done, no. no. Well, <laughs> and it's not. and if you think about it, it's just it's it's funny. It's kind of, well tragic irony in the fact that here is a film that parts of it are trying to explore, though they just kind of briefly touch on it and go back to Dixie um, mm-hmm. of segregation. They touch on it, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's here now. We're going away from it. And at the same time, in the real world, the film got the same treatment right. <laughs> as the entertainers did of the time that the film takes place in. Right. Yeah. So many years later, it's a shame. It, it, it is sad because those, I mean, I wanted to see more of. I, I mean, we get crazy Nicolas Cage in here, but that felt for, everything with the main characters kind of felt Forced. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love seeing early Nick Cage in his crazy, slight, you know, permanently sweaty mode. Um, mm. uh, but in this one, I mean, Tanya, how the the storyline? Because they do the parallel storylines between Dixie and his brother, and then you have Sandman and his brother Clay. I mean, which one of those stories did you feel was more <laughs> real? And did you feel more uh, uh, emotional impact between the two? Uh, what would you say had the more uh, m- like meat to it? Oh, and hands down, the Williams brothers, of course. Hmm. The other story, I mean, honestly, I checked out a little. Like, mm-hmm. I was watching it, but I would check out a little, you know, with the gangster stuff. Because, yeah, just because there wasn't the realness to it. Mm-hmm. It, what, it did play like a... It did play kind of like a bad noir, right? Um, rather, while well, the other stuff had more heart, so you know it wasn't as interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's like what you said, Scotty. Uh, it, it was real. Th- those felt like you wanted to actually hear the stories of real people rather than these stories of named people that were in history. <laughs> no, I mean, like it, you know, I think, and I think in other movies, the Dutch Schultz story has been told very well, right? Um, you know, probably a really good, really good thing would be the, the definitely not the movie, but the novel Billy Bathgate. Mm-hmm. It's great, you know. But uh, it, but when they do the thing with the fictitious cornet player and the showgirl, and there's a love triangle, and he's really, I've seen that movie. Yeah, I've seen it. You know, well, like well, like you spent sixty million dollars on a, on something I've already seen. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just show me the things I'd already seen and saved the little sixty million dollars. <laughs> And what makes it more frustrating is that the other stories are right in front of us. They're right, you know, and then the camera just kind of moves past. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've got the actual guy who's the manager of the Cotton Club, who, for the bits that we get to see him, I'm like, there's a story there with this guy. I mean, he's the guy who reluctantly, you know, who just tells the Williams uh, in passing, oh, yeah, you guys are scheduled. Uh, you know, he's the guy with the, the bullhorn and that. I'm like, I want to know more about him. <laughs> well, I don't support any movie that focuses on Tom Waits, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he only shows up here and there. Or like you said, this, the, the story with uh, the gangsters, and they touch on that a little bit of the turning of the age of the the fading of the gangsters, basically that that kind of gets touching there, where the law starts coming down on them, especially after the you know when the depression, the stock market crashes, um, you know, and, and there's a compelling story there with the the Oni character and and his his very tall Frenchie, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, guys. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Tanya, how'd you feel? I mean, the Vera character, I think you mentioned it as well. The Vera character. You you don't I don't know the way she was written. I mean, we're talking mid eighties. 
most of the female characters in here, though they're supposed to be in the 20s and 30s, do they feel like they were written in the 80s? Because how do you feel that they were written? Do you think that uh, most of them were kind of overlooked? <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of had the feeling that they were trying to hark back to, you know, like like crime movies of mm-hmm. the 20s and 30s, like noir movies. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't like super deep or anything like that. Um, I felt like the, the Vera character, I felt like she was very unlikable. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed like everything she did was just, it wasn't even that it was self-serving in a selfish way. It was like, she didn't even care what happened to her or anyone else. Sort of. She was just kind of going along without a, without any motivation. Like I didn't really understand why she did a lot of the things she did. And then at the end, it seems like all all of a sudden things change and she's got all these feelings that you never saw earlier, (laughs) which is interesting because I found the other, what's her name? The Lila Rose character. Mm -hmm. I found her really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just seemed like why have these like, characters that you want to know more about that have multi-layers and an interesting story and then have these other kind of wooden characters. Yeah. I mean, Richard gear in general, I, I feel bad because I know, especially as a film lover, I should probably feel differently, but any film he's really been in, I've never been really impressed by, by his, his style and his delivery. It is, what you said, Tony, it wouldn't, it is always kind of the same. Like he's just going through the motions and I feel bad saying that <laughs> a, about an actor because, you know, he's putting it, but it just, I never have whatever character he's playing. I'm just like, eh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, there's per- a couple films where he really does well, mm-hmm. uh, in like one of my favorite movies, Internal Affairs, another one, Days of Heaven. You know, those Days are two good ones. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a very mixed bag. You know, every now and then you get an unfaithful. Every now and then you get Runaway Bride. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I would say Days of Heaven. That's the movie I like him in the most. Mm-hmm. And then everything else, I'm kind of, nah, I don't hate him or anything. But N- no, I don't. I don't either. I'm not saying he's he's bad at all. I'm just saying I never quite saw the hype around him because, you know, and especially in this film, the way his Dixie Dwyer character is, I'm like, here's a schmuck who just kind of falls into luck, who doesn't quite realize how lucky, you know, it was really weird with uneven with this character. I'm like, okay, is he playing the angle and just playing as being the dumb coronet player while actually realizing the weight of the situation and how much power, like in the gangster land he's getting, or is he really that fucking clueless and he's just rolling with things and actually has no idea what it would have been. interesting. I I took it to mean that he's just that dumb. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) He's rolling with (laughs) <laughs> on the edge of a knife there. I didn't think that he had any idea of what was going on, what the pluses and minuses were of that. Um, I think that, um, I, I think that he, <laughs> I, I think that it was not, he was not, I think if you replaced this, here's the problem is that you just mentioned, you know, somebody who lucks their way into everything and just goes along. And it may, gave you this picture. If they replaced the Richard Gere character with Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I want to see this movie now. He's seen playing beat for beat. <laughs> wow, you're not wrong. Between him and you would be the Gen A scenes, you know? <laughs> Vera... <laughs> I I may not be a smart man and only play a coronet, but I know what love is, Vera. Uh, <laughs> and Vera does make a good Jenny. I mean, you're not far off now, Scott. I thanks. Now you just now I'm not going to not see that. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> which, which is funny with his character being clueless and falling in it because Sandman Williams in, in you know, juxtaposition or whatever, Gregory Hines' character, knows exactly how everything is because mm-hmm. that's the world he ends up, he unfortunately lives in. He has to be aware of things because a misstep, as we see in this, in the backstage scenes, when he tries to do something that is out of place or as some people would see it, not his station, uh, he gets thrown on a a cutting board and gets threatened with a meat cleaver. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you know? Here you have Sam Van Williams, who's very much aware of the world he's in, but also Mm -hmm. taking a chance because he loves Lila Rose so much, and Mm -hmm. Lila's very much aware, whereas Vera and Dixie are just, like, playing with fire and don't give a fuck. Maybe you're hitting on something here. Mm -hmm. Could this be a movie about privilege and how having privilege, you're so blissfully unaware that you just can be an idiot and it's okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I... I I was about to say just the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I I think... I, while I don't think that was their intention in 84, <laughs> looking at it through 29, uh, 2020 eyes, it absolutely speaks to the privilege versus those who do not have privilege in culture. Um, that, but yeah. I say this, speaking on, this, on like a similar thing, they did do kind of a cop-out by having the uh, racism of the Cotton Club embodied in a single character. Yeah. They have this one really awful uh, person who, I don't even know what his job was, you know? Um, he, he was just a supposed, I think he was a backstage manager, supposed to be. He's like, you know, I believe that's what his character may it, have been supposed to be. But he's like, you know, he's just the, he's just the most, like, vicious and violent and racist person in the movie, and it gives them the excuse to not explore that in the say like the bob hoskins fred gwynn characters or anybody else that's working at the club you know they don't have to address that because we put all of our evil in this one basket it's kind of like the old trick that the historical epics used to do yeah like when you the 1492 with gerard depardieu and no no columbus was a nice guy it was this person we made up actually and i felt like that's kind of like what they were doing here they if we just say this guy was an asshole yeah we don't have to bring up that difficult subject in the other characters i thought it was a cop-out so mm. as much as we love seeing that guy get the shit kicked out of him in this movie well <laughs> it, it was a cop-out though they do play a little bit and It's interesting. I get what they were trying to go for, but again, it was another element that felt forced with one of your supporting main characters in the form of of Nicolas Cage's brother of Dixie. Um, He starts to turn racist because he wants to become a gangster because he got hired by Dutch. And that felt forced, though, too. It's just like, okay, this the way you're writing this dialogue... I'm like, can you get any more cliche and and caricature? <laughs> this movie ran ran through like about a dozen different writers yeah, and, and do- yeah. dozens of drafts. You'd think that somewhere in there, things would get more correct instead of more <laughs> generic, but no. Be- <laughs> I think probably it just became more and more cobbled together. You know, like little pieces put onto little pieces, and that's why. It had such an uneven feel. Well, apparently Coppola had a knack for trying to do a bit of improv directing with the actors, letting them go a bit, which ended up, what I was reading uh, up on it, uh, uh, quite a few rewrites because they would do things that he loved, but they keep, and then they're just like, shit, that changes this part of the story. Oh. (laughs) You know, he, he he let them do things, apparently, you know, kind of an improv directing of the actors, and it, it caused them to kind of have a very fluid script, and it comes across on screen as very fluid. An honorary Oscar to the continuity person. 
<laughs> just like, and now as the thanks for taking one for the team award. <laughs> 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 he'd actually like to be here but he's sleeping it off uh <laughs> supposedly he got ink poisoning mental hospital are between eight and five <laughs> but be careful he's very skittish to light and don't show him red red ink because yeah he, he will he will go ballistic on you um yeah i mean this the film covers so much ground i mean it, it almost, Scott, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to have someone, because we're in the world of remakes, reboots, whatever, wouldn't this made a really kind of interesting series, like a limited miniseries oh. or something? Yeah, I don't even think you need to go limited on it. I could totally see that. Because mm. like, stories can pass in and out of that cotton club. You could keep that going for years. You could run it, and instead of going over like uh, ten years of history, like this movie does, you could do it in real, in like year by year, real time. <laughs> because it does have a fascinating history, and they do touch on it, and you get these wonder performances. I mean, only the performances. You don't get to see anything with the uh, people once they're not on the stage. That's why I kind of thought that if they were going to go that route, just go full in and make it more like cabaret, where. Yeah, the, the, where the little musical acts come in to help tell the story, but oh. um, but yeah, because you don't really see anything more of them. But yeah, just if they could do that and focus on, you know, what was Duke Ellington like when he'd swing in right. or Cap Calloway or, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, what were they doing in the back? Or you know, you get that. My God, <laughs> <laughs> you get that touch of a story. We mentioned him before. I mean. Old, uh, well, at the time, Larry Fishburne, uh, good old Lawrence Fishburne's in here and, you know, playing his gangster character who suddenly we've jumped ahead and now he's allowed in the club, which I'm like, well, that would have been an interesting story to discover how he, you know, he just shows up there. Now he's okay allowed, you know, still a certain section, but still. And then you get the scene where you have one of the performers on stage and she's smiling at him and he's back and you feel like there might be a story there. It doesn't do anything though with it. It's like, here's some, mm -hmm. here's an idea. Nope. You're not getting any more, but just the idea. Um, and it's like, Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. And that's what this whole movie is. The, the, it's such a, and I'm using the term for yes, multiple meanings, such a vanilla, story is the main yeah. story when there's far more interesting stories you know uh on the side as we've mentioned tonight throughout this thing i mean otherwise if you if you it's interesting if you take away all the interesting acts and the gregory hines story you have a very generic gangster film, which you might not expect from Coppola, but uh, you know, you, you have these other characters and yeah, it's why I enjoy the film a lot is because you have, I mean, we, we all love music, but it's why I have the soundtrack. I love the music in this film. Oh, and there's so much of it. And there's so, the entertainment, the talent that was on stage was great. I mean, Scott, you, you watch these musical numbers, and it, it's always one of those things where, yeah, you have the main performer, like when Sandman Williams is doing his own dance, but he has backup performers who are keeping up with him. Oh, yeah. it's in, All the musical acts are absolutely incredible. I mean, I wanted even, I could have stand for even more because, you know, when we talk about the musical numbers, but we rarely get a full number. We get, like, about a right. minute. Worth. And... It's like just like that thing about keep, where this movie just constantly keeps it out of reach, you know. Uh, the musical numbers are incredible, and I think it only scrapes the surface of the amazing talent there. But you know, uh, like when they have oh my gosh, they, I I have to tell you that somebody I can't don't know who the actor was, but somebody did a really dead on Cab Calloway. In this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. I was going to ask that Larry Marshall, uh, who did the vocals according to the soundtrack, he's credited with singing, uh, that song. And he was, holy crap. Yeah. The guy who played, I was like, 
did they get a young cab cab? I'm like, they didn't have de-aging back then. So, <laughs> but when you watch actual performances of Cab Calloway and you watch him, in fact, a lot of the performers who were playing the historical performing figures of the time at the Cotton Club, I thought did really well. Tanya, what'd you think of those actors who were playing the historical performers, Duke Ellington, you know, the Cab Calloways, the, uh, uh, what, Duke Ellington, um characters uh what'd you think of them oh i thought they were amazing i mean that that's i mean the reason why i liked this film is for some of that stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah it was just amazing and i agree with scott 100 percent. they didn't didn't let the music the music play out they didn't let Mm -hmm. any number play out i mean you i mean you could easily you know how they do kind of a back and forth with the story and the music, but kept it going so that we see the whole song. I mean, I would have enjoyed that much more. That stuff, what made the movie enjoyable to me, like, honestly, if that stuff was cut out and it was just the, you know, mob stuff, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All that other stuff that made it so much richer, the actors emulating the real life performers were just, Mm -hmm so spot on and they weren't like caricaturing they were like embodying them so yeah it was so good yeah i was impressed with the them and i wanted to see more of that (laughs) which seems to be the theme tonight is man i wish i would have seen more of that with this film um and folks you may think well we're not giving you know actual talking about the story because it's so bland the the middle the main story (laughs) of it it's the you know the dixie's story We've seen so many times before of the 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 drifter guy who suddenly gets swallowed up into this life and suddenly becomes a big name. Um, but, you know, and that part is so written, just so basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of this is so, yeah, it's got a lot of, st- lot of dressing on this story to keep it interesting. It was for me. It's why I love it. I, I love all the musical numbers. I could watch just a montage of those and would love to have seen them breathe more. Um, you know, and, and you could, with the way the story, you could have trimmed some things out and added that instead because the way they wrote the Vera character, yeah, she's, she's not a likable character. You even, you know, oh, okay, she's motivated to get her club. Even after she gets her club, you're like, okay, she's still with Dutch. And then out of the blue, she randomly shows up with Charlie Chaplin, which I'm like, what the? What? <laughs> I'm like, why is she with, why is she show up with Chaplin? What the hell? Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in here, and I can see the why it you know, besides the production stuff, I can see, and we'll wrap it up here, but uh, I can see why maybe it wasn't as received because especially back then in the 80s, you didn't have internet and stuff. So a lot of the support of that in Hollywood was people fighting for support in Hollywood for the film. And you just, you, you had too much trouble. And it just, I don't know. I just, the, the film, I think there's so much more that could have been done here that just it it fails and it's sad because you got all this great talent like i said mm-hmm. the the hoofers you've got you know those performances those musical numbers i mean you got freaking freaking gregory hines in your film show him dancing as much as possible <laughs> <laughs> you know it was like what don and i were saying about white knights we're like okay You've got Gregory Hines and Mikhail Baryshnikov in your film. If you don't have them dancing together in one full number, you, you're fucking losing. You, you Turn in your director's card because you did not take advantage of the situation. And they have so much talent here, and I would have loved to see more of it um, besides the, the basic love triangle thing, which wasn't even done that well, you know? Mm-hmm. And the forced uh, historical references, I'm like, why? I didn't... In fact, th- those took me out of the film are when they hit, like, the actual historical moments or you'd come across another historical figure. I'm like, okay, you know, woo, 
You know, I mean, when you know Dixie, when when Dixie's brother, uh, you know Nicholas Cage, going on on the you know half cocked, and you know he's he's basically playing the, the Mad Dog, which is a real gangster guy. Uh, that whole part, I'm just like, what? You know, I I didn't feel it at all, especially when you try to figure out what's going on like you missed something when they do that whole kidnapping scene scott did you feel like you missed something in that when suddenly they're in the car and he's delivering fifty thousand? i'm happy because it gave it gave the opportunity for that great scene i talked about earlier yeah but yeah i mean leading up to it you're like wait they're having him deliver the whole story about you know first of all i wanted to see i didn't get hardly anything between the time when he was just, oh, this is Richard Gere's brother, and when all of a sudden he's a psychopath. You know? mm. <laughs> so, like I didn't get anything in between that, so I didn't see that. That was a, that was shortchanged as well. And for another thing, like you know, well, they kind of like went, it's good. That's when they kind of just like skirt a little bit with history. Like mm-hmm. for instance, of course, Dutch Schultz is a real person. The murder sequence is very close to how it actually played out. Oh, where he offs his uh, competition? No, where what? Dutch Schultz meets his come up. Oh, when, when when Dutch Schultz gets shot. Yeah, he gets uh, yeah, aced. That's yeah. very close to how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, so it's best when it kind of just skirts with it. But they tried to make the Mad Dog character, you know, connected to this. You know, they wanted to shoehorn it in, so they made it Lickless Cage's character. And then either they didn't develop or they cut out, you know anything that would have made it feel natural. And maybe that's the problem with all like the little celebrity cameos and stuff. Although they'd have to show like all the people who came out of the club and everything, you know? Well, what got me with that whole thing with, uh, the bad dog character and Nicholas cage being, you know, early sweaty Nicholas cage is, and it's the way it's written. I'm like, okay, Nick, he gets killed by gangsters. I'm like, Dixie is that fucking clueless that and and so Richard Gear <laughs> that we don't see anything about him seeming to be bothered at all by the fact <laughs> no that his brother just got gunned down by gangsters that he pretty much suspects are people he's working for uh-huh. <laughs> and or or no, or no or no reaction to oh my brother's becoming a psychopath until he's actually put in front of him, he has no. We got no connection with them at all. No, no. I mean, Dixie, Dixie's character. You're so right. You, the minute you say it, Scott, and now I keep thinking about it. He is so Forrest Gump in this film because he, he just is. I mean, yeah, they jumped a year later or whatnot, but his brother gets assassinated. You know, Dutch's boys did it, and when we see. Uh, Dixie later, it's like a year later after he's made it big as a film star, one film, one fucking film. Yeah, which did, that did not happen in, in the <laughs> early 30s, guys. They <laughs> <laughs> He made one fucking film and suddenly he's the talk of the town. Um, he shows up with Dutch and he's more upset that Dutch is still with his girl that he loves than the fact that Dutch offed his fucking brother. <laughs> it's just like there's like nothing like we don't get a reaction we don't get scenes we don't get seeing him console his mother nothing D- you know Nicholas Cage's get he gets ventilated and the next time we see Dixie he's like too busy chasing after Vera I'm like dude your brother just died horribly <laughs> And you're like just chasing after the skirt. (laughs) And I gotta tell you, I know it's the way he was actually killed in history. I read up on it a little bit online. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, just, well, okay, I Wikipedia it. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I know it's how it works out in history, but isn't it just a little something that his brother gets killed the same way as Sonny Corleone does in the, uh, in the, the Godfather. It it did have the, those that beat to it for sure. It was it was the same fucking way 
got no, no, it, it was a phone booth. It wasn't a car. Come on. It's different. <laughs> there, there were only two guys with Tommy guns, okay? <laughs> or one guy with Tommy gun. It's different, Scott. It's not the same. Okay, yeah, it's totally, you're, you're fucking right. It's totally the way <laughs> Todd Corleone gets aced. Um, yeah, this, it, it's, a, it's a mixed bag with this film, and we'll wrap it up tonight. Uh, here, uh, I watched it and enjoyed it, and it, I enjoyed it for what I figured I would, which is the, the Gregory Hines story and the music and performances, and I almost wish we would have got more time spent in the place that the movie is fucking named after. <laughs> but I still enjoyed it. And and for the cast alone, uh, I think I would uh, recommend it to people uh, looking for maybe one of those ensemble movies from the mid-80s. Uh, not so much for the main story, but for the side. Tanya, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Your final thought with, with the Cotton Club and who would you recommend it to? Um, I would I would recommend it to people who want to see you know the era and who are interested in you know the musical numbers. Anyone who's a Gregory Hines fan, I mean I the movie was very flawed. There were a lot of times I checked out <laughs> and didn't really know what was going on. But I loved the um, Gregory Hines Lynette McKee and also I love seeing Gregory Hines and Maurice Hines dance together because from mm-hmm. what I understand they started as a duo until Gregory Hines wanted to do more acting. And so it was really great to see that. Mm-hmm. And so I did enjoy, I did enjoy this film and I would see it again um, for that, all that stuff. Cool. And Scott, what about you? I know you didn't quite care for it, but uh, would you, is it still a film you think people might want to see, especially with the cast and everything? Well, listen, um, to be honest, we really all agree on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we all point out the same problems. The only difference is, is that um, you like used because of the side stories and everything. You liked it enough to re- you still loved enough about that to recommend it. If like, I can say that, um, mm-hmm. and the only difference is, is because I was so frustrated that they didn't go into that more. It's the reason I didn't like it. Sure, uh, we all agree that those side things are there. So mm-hmm. if you can look past the main storyline if you want to see it just for the side stuff. There's a lot there to see. The Gregory Hines story is great. The Bob Hoskins, Fred Gwynn is great. The musical numbers are great. Unfortunately for me, it's just because the main story was something so much less interesting. Right. Is that I can't re- recommend it for the main story. For the side stuff, yes. Well, well put, sir. Well, pert. And so... Uh, yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up. So uh, a mixed bag here, folks. Uh, I'm sure it's kind of odd to hear about a movie to where we would like everything but the main story, uh, but it's it pretty much sums up the Cotton Club. So uh, yeah, now uh, I appreciate my uh, crew members Tanya and Scott showing up for the night uh, to talk about this film. And now this is the part where I give them license to shills. So Tanya, go ahead. What would you like to shill? The floor is yours. Oh, my gosh. Um, again, there's there certain things coming up that are really exciting that I can't talk about. You can't talk about. We get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm online, Tanya Tomic, T-O-N-J-I-A. And um, I've got big things coming up that I can't talk about. Um, I can talk about one thing. I'm working on a script with um, filmmaker Joseph Vogeli, and it's mm-hmm. a vampire script. And um, pretty excited about that. We're hoping to get into production sometime later this year. Awesome. Looking forward to that for sure. And Scotty D, I know you haven't done a lot for some time, but you still got stuff out there. I barely leave my apartment anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's just me and the cats, really. <laughs> Who your cats are freaking adorable, by the way. Assholes, sure, but adorable. But um, yes, they are adorable assholes. <laughs> but um, yeah, okay. If you want to see my old stuff, it's at movieocrity.com. Also, you can check out my old uh, YouTube, well, my old uh, video series on uh, exploitation films. That's at vimeo.com slash channels slash movieocrity. Otherwise, look me up online. I'm on like uh, the, the Facebooks and the Twitters and the whatnots. 
the, the Facebooks and the Twitters, yes. Uh, yeah, check out both these fine folks' uh, stuff. It's great stuff. It's always a pleasure having uh, you all in this spoiler room. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. And yes, as we indicated, all roads tend to leave, lead back to Kevin Bacon. So our next film will be a Kevin Bacon film, and it'll be Quicksilver. And how is that connected to the Cotton Club? Well, that's how we end with every episode of these. You'll have to stay tuned to find out how we connect the Cotton Club and Quicksilver. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in, folks. And now we'll just say uh, good night, everyone, as we soft shoe out the door. Hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness, then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.